Welcome to Noir, the podcast that celebrates the extraordinary people of North Omaha. Our goal is to inspire and uplift the Black community by sharing stories of individuals who have made a positive impact. Join us as we connect, support, and encourage one another through powerful conversations and uplifting messages. Okay. This is the inaugural podcast episode of Noir, the podcast. And Noir stands for North Omaha is really extraordinary. And I'm your host, Dr. Nichelle Horton-Brown, and I have the pleasure of interviewing for the inaugural episode, my co-host, Ms. Jade Rogers. Hello, Nichelle. How are you today? I'm well, Jade. How are you? I'm good. Excited. Extraordinary. Extraordinary. <laughs> That's why you're the first guest. So the purpose of this podcast is to connect, support, and encourage Black people in and from North Omaha with stories of individuals who inspire us. Why? Because we need it. True. True. So we are going to get started learning all about Jade Rogers, who inspires us. So, Jade, we're going to take it way back to the beginning. We want to know your connection to North Omaha. Where do you come from? So I was born in Omaha, Nebraska in 19. 19- 72. It's a great year. Lots happened. My mother, Ella Jean C. Rogers, was born in Omaha in 1930. My father was born, John Rogers, was born in 1931 in Camden, Arkansas. My mother's family came to Omaha in the 19, late 1920s, around Little Rock, Arkansas. So that is where we came from and why they came racism and (laughs) (laughs) and fleeing violence okay in arkansas and they they laid roots down here because i believe that there was an, an uncle or a cousin or someone that had also left arkansas and come this way and a few others would come from that family this way okay so again this podcast is for and about people of North Omaha. So we all know North Omaha. Give us your educational journey through the city. So my first school was Howard Kennedy Elementary School on 30th off of Maple, I guess is what you'd say. So Howard Kennedy is where I started, which I always loved saying because that's also where my mother went to elementary school because my grandparents lived across the street. And when I started, It was predominantly black. There were white teachers, but there were black assistants and there were a couple of black teachers in the school. And then I had to move. The house was being consumed by the road, Mm -hmm. which is how I remember thinking about it as a kid. And we moved to another house and my school became Springville Elementary School, which was a completely different dynamic. Mm. It was a little shocking and jarring for me and I think I suffered educationally because of that. I always felt pushed to do things at Howard Kennedy. I was in talented and gifted. I was taking extra classes. I was in French and photography and research. And I get to Springville and I always said, 
I feel like I learned this already. I feel like I've done this already. So I got bored. Sure. Got what bored. grade were you in when you moved to Springville? Fourth grade. Okay. That's a pivotal year too. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. I went from having predominantly African-Americans in the class and other folks in the class. It was a very diverse group of students. I was one of three in the fourth grade. Ooh, I think three. That's hard. Mm-hmm. And then I went to Nathan Hale Middle School. Okay. How was that? I used to call it Nathan Hale. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I don't really know why. It was... Looking back, was it as bad as you thought it was when you were there? It wasn't really. It was just middle school. That's it. It was just middle school. It wasn't a bad school. I didn't have a bad academic experience. It was just middle school. And you're awkward and you're going through stuff. And, you know, that's all. I did still gravitate towards the history teachers. I got a lot of snacks and free things. (laughs) Because I liked hanging out with the history teachers and they were like, can you grade these papers? Sure, I can. Oh my gosh, they weren't your own papers, were they? No, they were everybody else's papers. (laughs) They entrusted me with a lot. It was crazy. And then I decided not to go to Northwest where everyone else was going. I felt like I needed more color and more diversity. Mm -hmm. And um, I chose to go to Central. Which was a good decision. I feel like it was the best. Decision. Because you met me there. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. Is that where we met? <laughs> yeah, that's where we met. Yeah. I, I knew that. Yes, you did know that. Yes. Okay. We'll come back to Central, but keep going. So from Central, I thought I was going to be a lawyer or a teacher. And I was leaning heavily on the lawyer because I was like, I want to make money. <laughs> and I decided to go to UNO. It wasn't my first choice. <laughs> it was probably the fourth choice. Okay. Uh, my first choice was Concordia College because I had gotten accepted into the German Institute there. And I was going to do a double major in uh, international law and German. Wow. Yeah. So but why did you stay here and go to UNO? Because Concordia was really expensive and I didn't feel like... I could do it on my own and I didn't want to saddle my parents. Mm -hmm. So I just didn't do that. The money just wasn't right. They offered me money, but it wasn't, it just wasn't right. And so I decided to stay for a year. I'd also looked at HBCUs. So I really wanted to go to Tuskegee Mm -hmm. and I got in there and then I wanted to go to Howard and I got in there and and then I realized I don't know anybody in Alabama. (laughs) (laughs) What what am I doing going to Alabama? I don't know anybody. And I did know people at Howard and I like I knew people at Howard because my Mm -hmm. sister-in-law was an alum and her uncle worked in financial aid. But for some reason, they weren't taking people in the department that I wanted that year. It was odd. So that was why I was going to wait a year. Interesting. Yeah. What department was it? Education. They weren't taking people in the education department? It was something about second ed, secondary ed, which is what I was going to do because I was going to figure out if I wanted to do English for law or edu- stay in education. So it was something weird that I was, and I don't even remember anymore, but for some strange reason, I couldn't go to Howard that year. So I was going to stay at UNO for a year. And then I ended up getting an internship. With the okay. Minority Internship Program, which no longer exists and really should, hmm. which took students at UNO that were maybe or maybe not considering careers in education and put them in Omaha Public Schools as interns. Hmm. So you were paid. 
And I was the youngest person allowed in the program. I still to this day don't know who nominated me. They interviewed me and they said, well, you're just a freshman and we really only take juniors and seniors. And I was like, okay. And so they said, well, just, you know, wait a couple of years. And the next thing I know, I got a call in the summer and they were like, okay, we want you to be in the program. And you have no idea who, no clue. who said, no, she needs to be in this program. No clue. Interesting. And because they allowed me in as a freshman, I decided to stay in Omaha and ended up being in the program for five years. <laughs> Wow. But that was five years of practical hands-on experience in elementary schools because I was like, it was student teaching, but I got paid. So, yeah. Wow. That's pretty extraordinary. It was. It was truly a blessing. I ended up doing one year at Springville. All the little black kids thought I was a counselor. (laughs) Why? Because I ended up getting all of the black males that were having issues in the school. And they were Miss Rogers, can you talk to so-and-so today? Sure. And I was like, okay. And they would, like, the principal would let me use her office to talk to the kids. <laughs> and I was having, like, really real conversations. Okay, Demetrius, you know. <laughs> you know better. I know. You know you're going to get in trouble. I know. You know how you're perceived in this school. Mm-hmm. And to get that one student in particular to see that we just need to play the game. We just need to get out of here. Mm -hmm. I know that you don't want to be in this school, but you need this more than that teacher. And he started to change. He started to turn around how he got upset about things. And by the end of the school year, his mother came and said, who's the counselor that's been talking to my son? He's been doing really well. And they were like, what counselor? (laughs) Because he told her he he had a counselor at the school. Sure. So, yeah, that was Springville. And then I did a year at Fontenelle. And the the last few years I did at Walnut Hill under Edwardine Armstrong. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sounds like she was influential. She was. She was. I'm not familiar with Miss Edwardine Armstrong. Oh, she was. Um, was she the principal? She was the principal. Okay. And she was, uh, Bob Armstrong was her husband. Oh, that name's familiar. It was with Omaha Housing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just remember she was strong. She was loud. But she knew what she was talking about. And she was a good principal. And I was afraid of her for like three years. <laughs> Because she would yell my name <laughs> down the hallway, <laughs> Rogers. And I'd be like in a class. <laughs> and I would like run down the hall. Yes, yes, Mrs. Armstrong. I need you to do this, this, and this. And one day I told the, the kindergarten teacher, oh my gosh, she just, she, I just, she does not like me. And she's like, are you kidding? <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? She said, she spent like 15 minutes in the last staff meeting just talking about you. Oh, like, wow. Wow. So I was at UNO, and then when I finished at UNO, I ended up not doing elementary ed. (laughs) Um, I went through all, I was probably one of the last cohorts that could take all of the teacher ed classes Mm -hmm. before you could, before you needed something else. And the pre-professional skills test just killed me. I would miss the um, math portion. I did the writing and the, the English and whatever. Sure. Fine. But the math portion, I missed every time by like one point. Hmm. And after taking it for six times, yeah. I was like, I'm done. I'm done. I switched my major to black studies because the chair of the black studies department was like, you know, you only need a history class and a science class and you can graduate this semester. And I was like, done. Because <laughs> <laughs> I also took every class in the black studies department. Oh, my gosh. I didn't realize I had done that. So then um, master's degree at University of Iowa and master's in African-American world studies. Okay. 
and then my PhD work at Morgan State University in Baltimore, Maryland. And how long were you in Baltimore? Eight years. That's a long time. And then what, two years in Iowa? Oh, three years in Iowa. Three years in Iowa. I stayed an extra year because they gave me the opportunity to teach. So what brought you back to Omaha? My mama. (laughs) (laughs) What did she say or do that made you come back? She was sick. So at the same time I was teaching in D.C. public schools Mm -hmm. that I was full time in at Morgan. And I came home for the summer and she just wasn't well. And when I went back to school uh, in D.C., it was the first time I went back and I wasn't excited about being back. And I was in like the first couple of weeks of school. The principal called me in and she was like, Rogers, what is wrong with you? You just you just don't seem like you're here. And I was like, I'm not. And I told her, you know, my mom is sick. She's like, what are you going to do? And I was like, I think I have to leave. And so I quit my job. I packed up my stuff. And a month later, I was in Omaha. I always thought that you came back because your father was not well. No, it was because of mom. She had been diagnosed with diabetes, so she stopped eating. She looked bad and her shoulder was bothering her. Mm -hmm. She needed a shoulder replacement. So when I moved back, it was within that week that her shoulder completely gave out Mm. and had to have emergency emergency shoulder replacement. Wow. But she stayed. Her shoulder got better. Her diabetes was controlled. Yes. She never needed any other medication for it. Mm -hmm. She had that shoulder replaced and then she had the knee replaced. And then the next year, the next shoulder and then the (laughs) next year, the the next knee. So, yeah, (laughs) every year she got a new part. Oh, my gosh. You came back for your mother. Mm -hmm. But your father needed you. It wasn't until I was home that I realized I started to see things, just little things. I think the thing that really struck me was I found all this blue stuff in the oven one day. I was like, what is all of this? It was like blue plastic at the bottom of the oven. And I realized it was a plastic plate Hmm. that had melted in the oven and was Hmm. coating the bottom. And then I realized daddy put this plate in the oven thinking it was the microwave. Mm. And then I just started noticing, you know, like really paying attention to little things. Sure. And it wasn't a lot, but I, I just kind of felt like we should probably, you know, his father had dementia and I just thought we need to get him checked out. Mm -hmm. And we did. And they, and they said that, you can't diagnose Alzheimer's, but you can diagnose dementia. Mm-hmm. And he had dementia. Okay. So again, this podcast is to connect, support, and encourage Black people of North Omaha, right? In and of. Right. So what resources did you find in our <clears throat> community that, that helped you with your dad and, and his dementia? At that time... There were groups, but he didn't really exhibit much Mm -hmm. on a continual basis. We had him tested at the, I don't even remember what it's called now, but it was at Methodist where they took him through like two full days of testing 
So neuropsych testing? Yes. Okay. And then they had a meeting. Like they talked to him, they interview him, and then they talked to us individually. Mm-hmm. And then we had a family meeting and it was determined that you can't diagnose Alzheimer's until the time of death, really. Sure. But di- but dementia, he was exhibiting some signs. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't severe. He still knew who everyone was. He knew where he was 99% of the time. But it was just once or twice a year mm-hmm. for several years, he would just have a day where it was like he wasn't himself at all. And there were groups, but I did a lot of research. I tried to keep him active. I tried to, he was never really a reader. He would read his Bible. Mm -hmm. I tried to play games with him, get him out of the house, keep him talking and and active Mm -hmm. mentally and just do as much as I could that way because he wasn't going to go to a center. He wasn't going to talk to anybody. Sure. We had to take the, the keys away from him. He was upset about that. And um, there were a couple of days where he would walk and wander. And that scared me because that's what his dad did. Mm. He was a runner. So he would run and not walk. My grandfather? Uh-huh. Yeah, he would. Yeah. Okay. He would bolt out of the house. Okay. And they'd be like, daddy's gone. <laughs> <laughs> Don't, go get him. <laughs> yeah. But John Bunyan only did that a couple of times. <laughs> thankfully but one day it was at a point we didn't know where he was and really it was my niece star was probably five or six years old she was with somebody else and she said that's my grandpa walking down the street wow call my grandma why is he there like mom didn't realize he wasn't wow in the house and i was at work and star saw him so it was really you know community yeah for sure that was uh it was a blessing to keep an eye on him yeah yeah you said that you would try to keep his mind active by playing games. Did your dad like to play a lot of games? Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> he did not like games. He didn't like games. He didn't like, he didn't like puzzles. He didn't like okay. coloring or drawing. So you just messed up my segue, Jade, because oh, you were supposed sorry. to say, yeah, he really loved games. And that's oh where I got gosh. my oh. love of games from. Yeah, no, he loved games. <laughs> no, he did not love games. <laughs> but you love games. I do love games. You do love games. I do. And so what is the extraordinary thing that you are doing at this point in your life? I am the founder, technically co-founder, but I say founder of the House of Afros, Capes and Curls, which is a nonprofit here in Omaha that connects people based on a shared love and interest in sci-fi, fantasy, comics, Gaming, tabletop gaming, and Afrofuturism. Wow. So where did that come from? That came from when I moved back to Omaha, I didn't feel connected. And when I tried to get back in and do things and feel a connection to the community, it just didn't, it just didn't seem to come naturally. And I said, I can't be the only one that's trying to figure out what the community needs and how to get in and where do I fit in. And also at the time Game of Thrones was on and I couldn't pay attention to the new episodes because I was getting so many text messages and messages on Facebook Messenger from people that were watching like, oh, my God, did you see that? And so I'm typing more than I'm watching and I've got 10 people that are texting me and I'm like, if I could just get these 10 people at the table and have one conversation about Game of Thrones and not 10, I'd be happy. Okay, so the house came from wanting to 
bring people to the table and primarily people of color that were nerds that I was the one person that knew that they were nerdy and liked nerdy things, but no one else did (laughs) because it's not something that at that time you didn't necessarily tell everybody, Oh my God, I'm such a nerd. I love comics. Like Uh just that wasn't a conversation that was comfortable to have necessarily. And definitely growing up not. So I thought, well, Maybe this is the way I can help uh-huh. bring people together because I'm also, you know, a little bit of an introvert. I don't like to put on suits and, you know, rub elbows with people. And what do you do? You know, at the mixer, I don't like to do that, but I will play a game. You will definitely play a game. And you talk to people when you play games <laughs> and you make connections. So that's where the House of Afros, Capes and Curls came from. Nice. When did you start it? How long has it been? 2016. 2016. And there are several different branches to the house at this point, right? Um, as far as the pillars of what we do? Yeah. Yes. What are they? There are three. There is the community engagement, which is our game nights and anything that we do within the community as a support, community tables, things like that. And movie nights when we partner with movie theaters to do certain things. And then the educational branch is the Young History Detectives, which is the, the combination of me as an historian and also me as a nerd and understanding that little brown children that are having this nerdy experience <laughs> should have some kind of support, but also learn in a safe environment who they are and what their history really is. Mm-hmm. And so that's where the Young History Detectives comes in. And then our signature events. And we have two this year. AfroCon, founded in 2019, and the Steampunk Tea Party. The Steampunk Tea Party. It is a celebration of Black Victorian excellence. Uh, Juneteenth is now a holiday. Yes. And people want to celebrate. And I'm always torn. It's like, celebrate what? The fact that we were lied to (laughs) for several years. If you lived in a certain state and you were not told that you were free, like, what is the celebration? Uh So I'm a little torn about celebrating. And I wanted to make sure that whatever I did honored the people and what they were trying to do with Juneteenth. So looking back at a Victorian era, and that's often looked at as only England, but it's just a period of time. But wanting to look at those people, their vast and major accomplishments in this country in spite of Mm -hmm. all of the obstacles and the steampunk element allows you to do that so steampunk is a is a a marriage of sci-fi fantasy and victorian genre and the tea party was just an opportunity to get people together dress up portraiture was very important to me for the event because portraiture was very important to black people at the time. Yes. Frederick Douglass and Harriet Tubman and others were not just taking pictures because they were vain. (laughs) Right. (laughs) They were taking pictures beginning in the abolitionist movement to raise money for the movement. That would continue through movements and needs, but also to change the narrative of how black people were seen. So I wanted to express that in a modern way. And you have a book coming out, don't you? Yes, we do. Let's hear about it. So for the Steampunk Tea Party, there were backgrounds that were created by three local artists. And people were able to sit for a portrait by a um, 
a black photographer. We had three photographers on deck to take people's photos. And from that, we have compiled a book of all of the photographs, most all of the photographs that were taken and put that with some information about the event, why we did it, um, some info on black Nebraska's history. And the book is a commemorative book of the event uh, that will be released later this month. Very nice. Tell us a little bit about the, the youth program, Young History Detectives. So the Young History Detectives learn research skills. They learn how to <laughs> cite sources because I also teach <laughs> and, uh, every day. I'm saying, please cite your sources. So I'm trying to teach them how to do that mm-hmm. uh, and the importance of doing that, but also how to use databases, how to use city directories, census information, the register of deeds information so that they can work on this project that we are conducting, which is a multi-year project called the Spatial Memory Project, where each student has a set of addresses that are business addresses or residences that they research the history of from the 19 teens, if they can get back that far to the present day so that we can understand at one address what businesses were there, what types of businesses, who owned them, do we have information on those people so that eventually by 2025, we're going to start to put together a VR experience of North Omaha to be able to go back in time and see spaces and see people and hear the stories based on the research that the Young History Detectives have done. Very nice. So how can young people, their parents, how can they find you to sign up for that? When does it start? The first session will be the end of March. So we have a website, afroscapescurls.com is the main website. The youth actually have their own website. We'll be able to, to loop it through the, the afroscapescurls.com. But if you wanted to register, the site is theyhd.com. And there's a registration form on there. And you can also see some of the things that the kids have done. Very nice. Okay, I'm going to put you on the spot. Okay. You were the first. Just off the top, this is not all inclusive because we don't have enough time for that. Right. But give me a few people that, in your opinion, are extraordinary and people that our community really need to know because they have stories that are indeed inspiring. Um, well, off the top of my head. I think people, well, some people don't necessarily, not everybody knows about her and her story, but they may know some things. Nancy Williams, No More Empty Pots. She's always the top of my head because um, she's my mentor. She would say, I'm not, she's not. <laughs> I continue to say she, she is. is. Okay. Because um, I learned a lot from Nancy and she's always a wealth of information. Yes, just she ready, is. Ready, just like you need a thing. Okay, let me tell you how to do that thing. Yep. So that's Nancy. Edgar Hicks, uh, who I know Nancy because of Edgar, and he's a fascinating person in the world of finance, but he's also a stamp collector. And he founded the George Washington Carver Grange, which is an urban grange. It was the first urban grange in Nebraska, which is like a collective of people, like a fraternal order almost, okay. for people in rural communities. Wow. And Andrea, I think her last name is? Pearson, oh my God. Yes. Andrea Joy. Andrea Joy. Andrea Joy Pearson. Yes. I think she's fascinating. Very nice. Very nice. Well, 
I think this wraps up our, our first episode of Noir the Podcast. Any last thoughts, Jade Rogers? Um, I will say thank you very much for having me. You're welcome. And I think you did a great job. Well, thank you. And I will just say that this is Nichelle's baby. <laughs> she has been wanting to do this for some years now. Yes. Um, she has a heart to talk about and celebrate and uplift North Omaha specifically. Yes. And black people in it specifically. Because yes. she is extraordinary. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Thank you for tuning in to Noir, the podcast, where we celebrate the extraordinary people of North Omaha. We hope you've been inspired by today's episode and encourage you to share your own stories with us. You can reach us at Noir, that's N-O-I-R-E, the podcast, at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram. Until next time, stay extraordinary.